Hello, hello. It's Brooke DeVard and you're listening to the Naked Beauty Podcast. Welcome back to another episode. I have been in Turkey just luxuriating, living on a boat, swimming every single day, eating Turkish breakfast every morning. If you're not familiar with Turkish breakfast, it's like simit, which is this incredible bread. It's almost like a bagel, like a sesame seed bagel. It's like this flat ring. And then you eat that with all of these various white cheeses. Some are hard cheeses, some are soft cheeses, fresh figs, peaches, plums. You have olives, a little parsley, tomatoes, cucumbers. It's like a whole spread. That's just like what you start the day with. For lunch, incredible food as well. Cigar barak, which is like my favorite Turkish dish. It's phyllo with cheese inside. There's a theme here, my love of cheese. And even my favorite Turkish dessert, kunefe, has cheese inside. It's an incredible dessert. I love Turkish food. I love Turkish people, Turkish culture. I did incredible shopping in this very small town of Gocek. I found incredible caftans, beautiful, just like cotton robes. Turkish cotton is phenomenal. I got a great handbag. They just, the craftsmanship, the attention to detail, wonderful. I'm always so happy when I get to go to Turkey. And of course, being there with my husband and his family and bringing Mavi with us was so special. Mavi was able to play with all of his cousins and It was just a very, very memorable, incredible week spent abroad. I'm so sorry that I didn't have a new episode for you all last week, but it's because I had this trip in Turkey and I just wasn't able to put it all together. But this episode with Jessica Cruel, who is the editor-in-chief of Allure magazine, is phenomenal. So many of you reached out to say you've been waiting for this episode, and we talk about it all. Everything from what it means to be an Allure Best of Beauty winner, we get into her career, we get into her personal favorites. And she's just a very, very impressive voice in the beauty industry. She is a force to be reckoned with within the beauty industry. And I love that as a Black woman, she has carved out things like the melanin edit, which she's brought to Allure to really make sure that we get the place that we deserve in the beauty conversation. I think you all are going to find her story and career incredibly inspiring and just learn a lot from her. I always love to talk to editors, beauty editors specifically about products and the beauty space, because again, they see it all. This is what they do day in and day out. We're going to take a quick break and hear from some of our sponsors and then get into my conversation with Jessica. Okay, beauties, today's episode is brought to you by our friends at Maui Moisture. All of Maui Moisture vegan hair care products are made with 100% aloe vera as the very first ingredient to hydrate hair across the curl spectrum. Now, you know, when you get a conditioner, you get a shampoo or any hair products, when you turn it around and you look at the back and you look at the ingredients that are listed, it's the first few ingredients that really matter. Now, each bottle of Maui Moisture aloe vera is blended with nourishing coconut water and other hydrating ingredients to create formulas for all curl patterns, from fine waves to kinky coils. Maui Moisture is free from silicones, parabens, sulfated surfactants, gluten, synthetic dye, and animal byproducts. They have everything you need for your wash day and beyond. Beyond the Maui Moisture shampoos and conditioners, which I love, they have deep conditioning treatment masks, they have oils, they have stylers. One of my favorite products is the Coconut Oil Curl Smoothie. I even use that on my son. It makes his hair and his curls just pop. 
And this is what I really appreciate about Maui Moisture. You can use all of their beautiful products and it won't flake or leave any residue. Now, here are some of their best-selling formulas that you can look out for. They have the Heal and Hydrate line, Shea Butter and Curl Quench. And Maui Moisture products are all under $10 and available at Walmart nationwide and on walmart.com. You can check out everything Maui Moisture has to offer at Maui Moisture. And Naked Beauty listeners, you already know Nikki Nelms, celebrity hairstylist Nikki Nelms, who we know and love, is a Maui Moisture Curl Pro and Kennedy Johnson, who has also been on the podcast, also reps hard for Maui Moisture. So I'm so happy that they're supporting the show. Okay, let's get into the episode. You'll know real when you get it. It will say eBay authenticity guarantee and you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewelry that makes you look like a gem, sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things that you love are checked by experts. Not just any experts, specialized experts. Real people who love this stuff with real hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue check mark that says authenticity guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, Solon logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder, or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. All right, everyone. I am honored to have Jessica Cruel bless the Naked Beauty podcast. Thank you so much, Jess, for being with us. Thank you for having me. Editor-in-chief of Allure, beauty industry veteran. You've been an editor for 10 plus years. Pop Sugar, Refinery29, now literally running things at Allure. We're going to talk all about that, your incredible career. But first, I just have to stop at your name. Jessica Cruel. I mean, what a name. Yes. Actually, I always say I'll never change it, even if I do get married, because one, it's such a conversation starter. People tend to sing to me, cruel to be kind. Don't be cruel. I get that a lot. You know what, though? It's the kind of name that was like born to be on a byline. It's like you were destined to be an editor, a magazine editor. Yes. If only it was that obvious to me at the beginning. I absolutely love my name. And I actually go by J. Cruel a lot because yeah. obviously I was a huge J. Crew fan growing up. And I was okay. like, I think there might be something here. <laughs> we love it. We love it. Well, before we get into all of the amazing work that you've done at Allure, I do want to take a moment to say you are always on camera at events, doing fabulous things. And the fact that you always wear your beautiful natural hair, I just have to say, makes me one, so happy. But it also, I was like, as soon as Jess comes on, I need to ask her about that. Because for me, when I'm about to go on stage or do something big, I'm like, I don't know how my natural hair is going to react. I don't know if the wash and go is going to be wash and going. I don't know if the twist out is going to be doing, (laughs) you know, you know how our hair has a mind of its own. But your hair always looks so on point. I'm just obsessed. What is your hair secret? Oh, thank you. I mean, I think the secret is you accept the things that you cannot change. Yes. Okay. And she does have a mind of her own. Yes. But we've been together for 15 years now, rocking hard together. Love it. So I know how she'll act. I know what I need to do. And I'll say I have products that I keep on the side for when I have big things. 
Like when I'm doing TV, there's a certain product that I use that I know is guaranteed to give me popping curls. Okay, wait, wait. What is, because you've done the Today Show, by the way, doing the Today Show, like that's, I just feel like I'd be so nervous, but you were so great on it. Thank you. What is your, I'm going to be on TV, popping curls product? It's the TPH by Taraji Twist and Set Cream. Okay. Listen. I was scraping the bottom of the barrel <laughs> when I was getting ready for today's show this week. I was like, no, no, I need it. And even my mom, I was going to go on the Today show or doing something on TV a while back. And she was like, oh, you're using the TPH? I was like, yes, this mom. I've been doing this. I'm the one who twists. Right, right. <laughs> she knows. She knows. That's the product I count on. I love it. You always look amazing. We're going to get into your skincare routine, your career journey, because I think one of the other things I want to talk to you about is the fact that you've had such an incredible career in the industry, but you've led with kindness your whole career and you've really been focused on cultivating teams. So let's bring it all the way back to Albany, Georgia, where you're from. What was your relationship with beauty like growing up? I spent a lot of time watching my mom practice beauty. And actually, now that I think about it, I actually have a scar on my arm. I don't think you can see it in the video, but I have a scar on my arm from when my mom and my aunts were curling their hair in the bathroom. And I was crawling around in the bathroom. I was under one and I yanked on the curling iron cord and I closed my arm like this. And so I have a big burn mark on my arm. (laughs) Beauty is pain. Right. Maybe that's my first experience with beauty. But obviously I watched my mom a lot growing up, do her makeup, do her hair, get some really interesting haircuts. She went bald once when I was really young and like picked me up from kindergarten with like no hair. So we always laugh about that very traumatic experience. What kind of magazines were in your household? Was it like an Essence? Like for me, it was Essence. And then I would go to the hair salon and I would look through Hype Hair. Do you remember Hype Hair? Is that even still around? It's not still around, but I do remember Hype Hair. Yeah. Was it J14? J14, of course. That was more teen-centric, but yeah. To this day, my grandmother has Essences and Jet magazines in every corner gathering dust from like the 90s. (laughs) (laughs) Like they just never got thrown out and they're still there. So those are the magazines that I definitely was raised on were those kind of crucial Black publications that were all kind of around the house. And the beauty politics of the South, I do feel is different in terms of my exposure was going to Spelman College for a semester, but it was this idea that you don't come out of the house looking any type of way. You are together, you are groomed. Is that something that was modeled for you and your family? My grandmother is very much so that way. I mean, she is a woman that until maybe two months ago, she's 80 years old, went to the nail salon every two weeks. And wore red nail polish and, you know, had acrylics. You know, she's a wig wearer, so she wears wigs. Yeah, she did not leave the house without being done. Bangles, necklace, doing and Burke bag. That was her. That was Miss Adams. My mom was less strict on it, but still very much so leave the house put together. We laugh about it now because even to this day, she's calling me and being like, where are you going? <laughs> you know, I saw you outside your house with, your bonnet on. I don't understand. You do bonnet outside? Depends on where I'm going. Like if I'm running into the Dunkin' Donuts in my car, I'm going to be the bonnet on. No judgment either way. And even like another part of keeping the hair doing what she needs to do, I will wear the bonnet in the car. Even if I have like a job interview, I'm wearing the bonnet to the office and like taking off the very last minute. Scarf to work, all of that. I keep it slick and keep it 
away from humidity as much as I can to the last minute. We just got this book for Mavi, actually, when he turned two. It's called Bedtime Bonnet. The first page of the book is, when the sun goes down, the hair in my family goes up. And then each page is about how all of the different kind of Black members of the family put their hair up at night. It's just like, we, our hair is not out when we're at home at night, right? It's like always tucked away. Yeah, the scrunchies come out and I just go for it. As soon as I get off this call, the scrunchies are coming out. <laughs> yes. You go to college, North Carolina. What did you major in? Journalism and sociology. So okay. multimedia journalism and sociology. You decided to do journalism. Did you know you wanted to be a beauty editor? I knew I wanted to be in magazines. I think for me, I more had a vision of what I wanted my life to be like. Mm -hmm. I wanted to work in somewhere fabulous. I wanted to work in a tall building in New York City. Keep in mind, Albany is really small. It's like farm. It's not farm. It is a city. Sorry, Albany folks. It is a city. But I just wanted a glamorous life. Mm -hmm. I wanted you know, overlooking the city, Times Square, fabulous suit, because obviously the fashion was on point in my dream. <laughs> That's how I stumbled upon magazines. And that is what encouraged me to go into journalism as my major. After several internships, that's when I landed on beauty. I was never into fashion. Look, I'm a Black woman with natural hair and lots of hips for days. At that time, fashion wasn't for me. And also, TJ Maxx shopper to the, like, you should go. I love TJ Maxx. Maxanista. Come on now. Don't sleep on TJ Maxx. Born and raised. So, you know, just fashion. I just really didn't feel like I felt fit in. But one of my internships, I spent a good amount of time in the beauty closet. That is when I really start to feel like, okay, I'm getting a lot of the benefits of fashion, but this is very accessible to me. We have drugstores in Albany, Georgia. That seemed like a good way to go to speak to people of all colors and all sizes. It's kind of like my mom says, she loves shoes no matter her weight. It's kind of like you love beauty no matter what you look like or what you're into or if you're rich or if you're poor, you know, and I love the equality of that. Have you always had great skin? Yes. Okay. <laughs> appreciate the honesty. No, I appreciate the honesty. Um, Genetically, I'm lucky, but I will say my mother had acne later in life, adult acne. And so I don't take it for granted. I work very hard to keep her nice. Yes, but you also test so many products, which we're going to get into in a moment. But so many people want to get into the beauty industry. They want that life that you dreamed about of the fabulous job, the fabulous wardrobe. And your life is fabulous. Like, we last saw each other on a paid for trip that you got to be at in the Hamptons and the, you know, beautiful hotel room and being whisked away to like fancy restaurants. You do have a glamorous life. It's work. It's hard work and you've earned your spot in this life. But so many people want to get in and they don't have an access point. How do you recommend people that are interested in entering into the beauty space? Maybe they have a job in a totally different career and they want to pivot to beauty or they're still in school. How do you recommend they think about getting in? You know, a lot of people ask me that. And honestly, it's so much harder than it used to be. And that's a weird thing to say. When I came up, I did several unpaid internships. And I was very fortunate that my parents could help me out when I like came to New York and stayed at the NYU dorms. But I felt like that was a route. That was an open door that it was hard to get into. But me, a little girl from Georgia who went to college in North Carolina, was able to get into it. But now that there aren't as many unpaid internships, it's almost like you have to get a job, have a blog, 
I don't know where the girls coming out of college are getting jobs. Even my assistant had several gigs before she ended up being my assistant. So I say it's it's just that harder to open that door because I found that my success was so much due to that first internship that then you network and it leads to the next internship and it leads to the next internship and it leads to the next internship. Now, back then I will say the haves in the world were more likely to have the internships. That was true. But now the haves and the have-nots aren't getting internships. So (laughs) it's like, it's really hard out there. But I do tell people, look, having a social media, having a writing platform of your own is a good place to start. Whenever I interview someone, I want to see clips. I want to see what your writing style is like. I want to see that kind of experience. I don't particularly care how many followers you will have. I'm more interested in that kind of writing work. But also, I'm looking for someone who can vouch for you because that's so important. If I only have one spot to hire, it would be great if I could call up someone and be like, hey, this person was your intern or hey, this person said they knew you. What do you think of them? So I think networking is so important, even if it's just going to events, introducing yourself and kind of trying to maintain that relationship and then having platforms where you can showcase your writing. Absolutely. And just going up to people, introducing yourself, sending thank you notes to people when they take the time to get coffee with you. I mean, how many times have people said like, hey, Jess, can I sit down and like get coffee with you or ask you a few questions and then you do it. And then they like don't actually have anything to ask or they don't come back to you and thank you for the time. I mean, those are the things that really leave a lasting impression. Now, you and I have both experienced firsthand the (laughs) ridiculousness of how seriously this industry can take itself sometimes and how, frankly, unkind people can be in this industry. I experienced it less so just as interning at Vogue. And I've worked in the fashion industry, but it can be a crazy, crazy industry. I know one of the things that you pride yourself on is being kind and leading with compassion. Before we get to how you became like that, what were instances you experienced where people were unkind to you? I would say even for myself, I've been very fortunate not to have harrowing experiences that I've heard some other people have, you know, there are some really bad horror stories out there. What's the worst you've heard? Because I I have heard, but not seen up to the level of throwing a chair across the room. Yeah, I was going to say, I've heard a lot about people throwing things. Yeah. And I just, <laughs> I'm like, what? My biggest shock was, I'll never forget, I was interning at Vogue and it was the first time in a professional setting someone ever yelled at me. Even at home, like my parents didn't yell at me, but I, someone literally screaming on the phone because I had like, I didn't know where to deliver something. And I was so taken. And it was just so strange. I was like, why is this person yelling at me in a work setting? It just, it felt so wrong and so bizarre. But then I'm thinking she's probably been yelled at 10,000 times that she doesn't even realize how just plain wrong this is. I hate to be cliche, but that whole saying that hurt people hurt people. I think for a long time, people have treated others how they were treated. Once you get into that cycle, like the cycle never ends. But then you have some people who say, that person treated me so bad, I would never do that to anyone else. And I think that's where we're starting to get as an industry, which is great. There's no reason to raise your voice at somebody. And also I think HR and (laughs) the internet and social media has definitely changed the game. I wish I would try to throw a chair at somebody. There'd be video out there, me throwing a chair. Like, I can't. (laughs) I can't act like that. 
<laughs> right, right. So those are outright aggressions, right? Like throwing a chair. But then the industry, especially for a Black woman, especially for Black women that are rising in the ranks. Like, have you seen this article that's like from pet to threat? You know, when Black women go from being like that fun girl in the office where you're like, oh, this is my friend, to like, I'm competing with this person, how that changes the work dynamic. Have you experienced microaggressions? Definitely. I mean, some of the things that have been said to me, I've been like, wow. That's crazy. You know, there's like the little things about like my, we work in the beauty industry, right? So a lot of things have been related to my look or my hair or things like that. So like, I remember I was wearing a wig one time and people were like, oh my gosh, your hair grew so long. And I was like, what? This is not my hair. Do you want me to take it off for you? Or someone said I was like Michelle Obama once when I got my hair straightened. I was like, oh my gosh. I don't know if I would definitely classify those as microaggressions, but there are things that made me like super uncomfortable. It made me feel like the only Black person in the room. It's one thing to be the only Black person in the room and to, you know, there's a lot of things that come along with that. But then to like have someone pointing out, oh, wow, you are different than everyone else here is very interesting to me. I do think that experience of being the only Black woman at times, though, can be a benefit. And I think the proof is in this amazing melanin edit that you spearheaded at Allure. Can you just give background about how that came to be? I think that once I'm very fortunate to work with many Black women at Allure, when I first started at Allure, we started to talk about how we could really serve the Black audience. It was apparent at that point, I had come from Refinery29 where they had Unbothered. It was really apparent to me that this audience, people like me, like to read content that's for them, you know, specifically Mm -hmm. tailored to them and for them. And so I was really into creating that space around beauty because I felt there was so much rich content there. So we created the Melanin Edit and it was really a place where we could talk to black and brown people without the explanation, you know, without the TWA parentheses, teeny weeny Afro, you know, just (laughs) without the explanation that I think so many writers are used to doing when they're writing for mainstream publications that have majority white audiences. Um, I've talked to so many writers have been like, oh my gosh, I had to like change my whole story because they wanted me to explain this and that and this and that. And I was like, well, let's pick a place where we don't have to do any of that. We are going to be able to have really authentic conversations that are going to be rooted in our culture and also not just doing it from a surface level. Talking about things like how protective styles are rooted in Black history and slavery to some extent and Africa Mm -hmm. and all of that. Like, let's go deep on it. Let's not be like, oh, protective styles, box braids. Let's talk about Black women in Africa have been wearing cornrows with different color beads and shells and different designs for centuries. Let's go that deep on it. I love that. And it's very powerful that the space that you through Allure have been able to carve out there, which brings me to the Allure Best of Beauty, which you just announced this week. What goes into becoming in terms of the Allure Best in Beauty? Like what is the criteria for being the best? Well, there are a lot of different criteria. It's hard to explain because... Really, it's based on our editor's experience. They know it when they see it. We know it because we test so much. Like our lives is testing product. Right. As you can see from behind me, like 
And that's just one part of the stash. There's products under my bed. There's products to my left. There's products on my dining room table. We test for a living. And so obviously great packaging, great formulas, thinking a lot about sustainability, even though that's not like a hard and fast requirement. Avail- uh, easy to use on multiple hair types and skin tones is also like a huge requirement. So there are a lot of different requirements, but in general, our editors are just so experienced and so thorough in their testing. And we still fight it out about what's going to win <laughs> and what they're not going to win. And so that's why at the end of the day, that's what leads to people being named the best. Yes. And of course, as soon as it came out, I jumped straight to the skincare section and I was happy to see the New Face Trinity device was named because I spend time doing my new face routine and I can see that it's working, but I'm like, okay, Allure, bless this. I feel good to continue. I saw Tatcha was on it. I think it was the toner slash essence. Shawnee Darden's exfoliating serum was on it, which I've been hearing so much about and I haven't tried. Are there any of the skincare products that one that you were just personally obsessed with? I actually tested AHA serums this okay. year. I also tested essences. It's one of our splurges, but the La Mer essence is yeah. like good. It's the La Mer lotion, correct? Yes, it's called treatment lotion. Yes. The treatment lotion. Yes, I saw that. And I actually also jumped straight to the splurges section and I saw La Mer there. And I have a La Mer eye cream that I do love. It's really wonderful. You know, that's what I appreciate, especially about the splurges category is like, it's not like, money that we're talking about. It's splurges for a reason. And I think for me, when I tried it, I was like, ooh, this is worth the pennies. And just so you know, another part of testing is I use Essence every day, twice a day. Are you a dry skin girl like me? I am dry in some spots. Yes. So I use it constantly. And I think that's another reason why as soon as I tried it, I was like, "Mm." (laughs) I tried a lot of Essences. (laughs) This is one of my favorites. So that was one of the skin ones that I actually really liked. I'm going to like literally go and buy it now that you've recommended and blessed it. Now, I'm by nature a skeptical person. One of my biases against magazines is I assume that they reward people that advertise heavily with the magazine. You're the editor-in-chief, which also means that you have to be super aware of all of the capitalism at work in all of our jobs. That's how the system works. We get paid from a company. We generate money from a company, right? So you were helping Allure slash Condé Nast generate revenue. Now, how much do the advertisers that advertise with Allure have a bearing on what's selected? We have 345 winners. And also, we're a part of the beauty industry. So... A lot, like, you know, not too narrow horn, but a lot of people advertise with us because we do beauty. So for us, we test what we test. The people who test don't know our advertise, who our advertisers right. are for the most part. Like, obviously, I test. I know who our advertisers are. Right. For us, advertiser, not advertiser, the product has to be good. Okay. I'm not going to be like, ooh, this horrible product is going to win Best of Beauty. No, I care <laughs> about the seal so much. I respect the seal so much. It's been going on for 26 years. Yeah, I would never disparage it in that way. The beautiful thing about Best of Beauty is it's one of those tent poles that there are a lot of different ways that we benefit from it. And so you can see our seal on products. So that's completely separate of advertisers as well. We do subscribe to capitalism. I'm not going to say that we don't. (laughs) We all do. (laughs) We all do in some way or another. But there is never an instance where this product is horrible. Give it a seal. (laughs) No, everything has to go through the testing. Everything has to compete against everything else. And it has to be good before it can even be considered for the list. Another philosophical question for you. 
obviously in the beauty industry, we're always talking about new products. I do it all the time too. I create content around beauty. So I'm always talking about what's new. I get new stuff every day. But then there's some products that are like good year after year after year after year. Do we need to buy a new mascara every year? Do we need to buy a new sunscreen every season? How do you balance new products versus things that have just been around for a while? Or are all of the kind of like allure, best in beauty winners, things that have been more recently introduced? It's of all time. So for example, Deepika from Live Tinted. Yes. She just became a three-time winner for her heat stick. We have Hall of Fame winners. Tweezer and Tweezers have won. They're like the <laughs> most winningest product in all of Best of Beauty history. I think they've won like 10 different times. <laughs> Part of the process is when we go and have our meetings, we have the product that won last year there, up, you know, in the conversation. And we say, okay, of all the things we tested this year, these are the top two, like people duke it out for what they thought was the best. We've tested in that category. And then the question comes, is it better than what won last year? Even for me, I tested and I was like, you know, this is a really great product, but actually this product that I've been using all year, I think is better. You know, we have those conversations. There's one category breakthroughs that it does have to be new. But other than that, anything's up for grabs. I'm sold. I definitely use that seal as something to help me make a decision on a product. The splurge category, I'm always interested in because it's like, is it worth the money? And I was interested to see that Hermes had a blush on the list and Chanel had, I think it's like a bronzer product. The veggies, yes. But that's an, also another one that's been around. For a For while. A long time, yes. But then I think the thing that was new to the list was the Balmain. There was like a Balmain hair oil for $125. Do you know the one I'm talking about? Yeah, I, I haven't tested it, but I know which one you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah, the Hair Couture Overnight Repair Serum. And I'm like, is this going to be worth $125? I mean, it looks beautiful and clearly it's been tested, but... Yeah, I just find that whole idea about what is splurge worthy, very interesting and smart that you all parse that out because when you're spending a lot of money, you want it to work. You want to be really happy with it. And look, there are things, you know, we did a couple of live streams in connection with the story. I was talking with people ask me all the time about the Dyson, right? They always the ask Dyson me like, is the Dyson wrap? worth it? Yeah, yeah, the air wrap. Like, is it worth it? And literally one of our, we were talking about it and then one of our editors came back on screen and she was like, let me tell you, the Dyson is worth it. I think all of our editors use something from Dyson <laughs> because it's so good. I use it to blow out my hair. I use the brush attachment. There are products like that that are just expensive, but also beloved. Another element of what we do is we also get pros involved in some categories. We also call up our favorite dermatologists and hairstylists and things like that and get their opinion as well because they also use product all the time, similar to how we do. So there are a lot of layers that go into it. We have the Spurge category, but we also have the Steels category, yes. where everything is under, I believe, 12 or 10. I'm blanking on it right now. But that, our cheapest thing in the list this year was $1.55. I saw Inky list in the Steels category. I saw some stuff from Pantene, Suave hair products. You know what? Was it maybe a Vaseline that was on the list? Yes, the stick. That's another repeat winner. The reason the list is so extensive is because we think a lot about different hair types, different skin types. Like if you go and look at the hair list, there's hair for curly hair, for color hair, for damaged hair. Like we go deep into specific skin types and hair types because we can. And because the other thing is each product category is tested by multiple people. 
it's an opportunity for multiple people with multiple hair types, but also different opinions, different styles, different perspectives on price to all come to an agreement. I love it. And I also just like love the seriousness of imagining like you like leading this meeting and being like so serious about it. Like what is the best lipstick on the market right now? But it's serious, you know, like being on this list can change a business. And I'm sure you've heard from small business owners how much just being included in this list has like essentially changed their life. So it's serious business. Now I need to know what are you personally loving and using right now? I literally just got a Jones Rope blush the other day that I am like, all right, this is going to be the new one. Okay. I absolutely love that blush. I am a huge fan of the Shani Darden wand. I'm sure I'm not, it's not called a wand, but it's a vibrating facial tool because you use a new face, which I have one. And I'll be honest, I don't use it. It's hard. It's honestly very hard to remember to use it. I like lapse for months and then I'll be like, I need to start using my new face again. And I like have to like literally put it on my calendar sometimes. The wand is easier to remember to use. Yeah, for me, because I actually clench at night. And so mm. I get a lot of tension right here around my jaw. And I love facial massage. So what I love is like kind of percussive therapy. It's like percussive therapy, facial massage that I don't have to manually do. So to me, it's a little bit more of an experience in the new face, right? Because you're doing the new face, but it feels like... Fun. Yeah, it doesn't like feel like much. And obviously it does work. You see the results after continued use. Even Viola Davis once told me like she used the new face and I was like... Oh, wow. That's an endorsement. Yes, exactly. I like the vibration element of the Shani Darden wand. So I really like that. I'm a big fan of the U-Beauty resurfacing compound. Okay, I have this. And it makes, it tingles, it, it stings my skin, it burns. And I'm like, this doesn't feel comfortable. I probably shouldn't use this. Does it burn your skin too? Not anymore. <laughs> oh, okay. Similar to retinol, I feel that you have to, you, there's an adjustment period, right? You mm. have to slowly probably use it every other day, every two days at first, and then it normalizes. And I've been using it for almost a year now. How have you seen your skin change since you've started using it? For me, I think what I like about it is there's like an instant brightness that I can sense. And so it's really good under makeup. Mm. Um, like when I'm like, oh, I'm looking a little dull. I just put that on and I feel immediately brighter. I also think it's just consistency. The consistency of my skin looking the same. I don't have a lot of breakouts or if I do feel something coming, I'll like use it a little bit more consistently. But yeah, I'm a really big fan of the UV resurfacing compound and I'm a big chemical exfoliant person. So that's right up my alley. Zit Sticker. We love a pimple patch. It's a disappear magic wand. I had a pimple. I was on vacation and I used a Zit Sticker and I was like, I felt like it was going to be one of those like cystic situations. Yes. Never came up. I was like, wow. Wow. What is in it? Um, well, they're generally hydrocolloid. hydrocolloid yeah. yeah. And I'm not quite sure of the actives, but it, they have the um, kind of microneedling effect, right? So the yes. edge of the patch is raised, yes. uh, which helps get the actives right where they need to be. So huge fan of those patches. It's so interesting. Like, what were we doing before pimple patches? We were using like the creams, like the uh, Mario Badescu. I know, but were we going outside? Yeah, we were, well, we were doing it mostly at night. We were doing it mostly at night. Exactly. exactly. And then I think about all of the times that I put makeup over pimple and it's like, why would I do that? But it's just, you just wanted to cover it up. That's all we had. Yeah. Now when I have a breakout, I do my best to just not touch it. I'm like, 
not no makeup, no squeezing, no nothing. Because I think the dark spots recovery is real. When they say it takes 28 days for skin to take up turnover, it takes 28 days. It takes so long to get rid of dark spots. And so I try to be hands off. Absolutely. Now, have you ever been to Korea? Yes. Okay. Did you love it? Were you obsessed? It was a little overwhelming for me. I'll be honest. I am a Southern girl at heart. (laughs) Um, So it was a lot of everything. It's a lot Mm. of action. It's a night culture. They love to be out at night. But yes, I have been to Korea and I admire so much their beauty culture. Yes. I just feel like it's they're in the future in a way that if you work in the beauty space, it's kind of like stepping into like where we'll be in five years. Do you see what I'm, you know what I'm saying? Like something very cool about that. Yeah. The technology that they have, as well as the ingredients that they source are just, the science is amazing. I always keep my eye. We actually have a lore Korea. So Mm. I always keep my eye on, on what's going on over there for sure. That would be cool to do like a, like a rotational, like a, Let's swap. Yeah. <laughs> like, can I come be the energy over here? For <laughs> they probably run screaming back. <laughs> Take the um, shot back. <laughs> I know. They'd be like, why are America is sad? They're like in the dark ages. Like I went, I saw there's nothing to report. We're doing cool and interesting stuff as well. How do you feel about Botox filler? I think for me, the deeper and deeper I get into beauty, the more I kind of appreciate that I don't do those things because I see that once you do start doing it, it's like keep and I'm like, I already have a lot of stuff to do. I don't want to like add in like a Botox appointment onto that. But then on the other hand, I also know that there's a limit to how much a cream can do. So for people that have things like deep wrinkles, I'm all for it. No judgment. Go ahead and do Botox. Where do you stand on it? I have both Botox and filler. So let's get into it. Okay. So what prompted you to get Botox? Where do you have Botox if you're comfortable sharing? And for filler. So I actually don't have a ton of Botox. I just have like a little in my forehead. It's probably worn off at this point. The Botox wasn't what I'm here for. The filler is what I am here for. Okay. And for me, like I'm wearing concealer right now. And besides when I go on TV, this is like the most makeup I will ever wear. I do not like to wear makeup. I didn't wear it to work today. I don't wear makeup as a rule. And so everything that I do to my face is so I do not have to wear makeup. I was like never really pushing to get it. But as I became editor in chief, now I'm getting my picture taken a lot more than I ever wanted. And so it was becoming this thing where I would take a picture, not wearing makeup because I don't wear makeup. And I'd be like, wow, I look like raccoon tired. Like I am. Oh, under eyes. Yes. So I got under eye filler. I also got laugh lines done because I left a smile. And so I was noticing that when I did wear makeup, it was settling here. Got it. And I didn't like that so much. So really, I think the under eye filler and the laugh line filler has been really a game changer to me because I also have genetic dark circles. Like yes. my dad has very dark circles under his eyes. I have such dark circles. I don't know if you can see in this lighting, but I've always had very dark circles. Right. And it's just a hollowness that I can't do anything about. Yeah. There's no cream. There's no There's no cream. People like caffeine, boo-boo. Caffeine is not going to solve it. <laughs> so... I think for me, like I was just getting my makeup done with someone the other day who's done my makeup for years. And she was like, that's still, still, still feeling, still doing its thing. Did you do Restylane? I did do 
Juvederm. Okay. And then did you go to a dermatologist? Did you, I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure in your position, you have amazing, no med spas. Okay. So tell me how you found your person or did they come to you? How did you decide, okay, this is the person I trust to do this. And how long have you been doing the filler? So Dr. Michelle Henry is the person who does me. And, you know, it was really important for me to have a provider of color, particularly a Black dermatologist do it. Dr. Michelle Henry is someone I've worked with for years. I interviewed her for several stories. And so I I very much so trusted her to do the work. And I really appreciate her approach of like, we'll do a little, you'll come back. We'll do more if you feel like you're ready. The good thing about filler is it lasts for years. Yeah. So I got it over a year ago and I'm not ready to go back. So it's not one of those things that I, as you mentioned, I too had that same fear of like, oh, the upkeep, like I'm going to be doing this all the time, back, yeah. back, back, doing it. But like, I, I probably can go like another year maybe before I'm going to need a refill. I have done under eye filler. It was a while ago. And now you're convincing me to revisit it. But I also like through pregnancy and everything, I gained a lot of weight and it kind of like acted as like a filler. When I was pregnant, I was like the extra like fat on my face is this natural filler where I feel like I don't have as much hollowness. But I think it's maybe it's time for me to revisit it. Just hearing that you've had such a great experience. Yeah. And for me, look, it's a personal decision. It's not that I needed it. I think also let's be mindful that I have amazing access, as you were saying. In our industry, Botox and filler and all that is offered to me on a, on a very often sure. regularity. So I took the opportunity that I had. If I didn't have that access, I don't know if I would have done it. But I also think that with my lifestyle, I don't sleep very well. So that's another Same. thing that like my under eyes were just something that always bothered me in photos. And now I feel a lot more confident going out as myself without makeup on. There are other mm-hmm. things that I do too, like my brows are microbladed, I have Same. lashes on, I have like lash extensions. I do all those things so that I can walk out my house without any makeup on. You know? I get it. <laughs> I get it. I get it. What's a beauty mistake that you have made that we can learn from your mistake? A uh, beauty mistake. I once thought I was Rihanna. Meaning? I walked into a salon and was like, give me this Rihanna yeah. hair color and cut. And <laughs> listen, I'm a lot of things, but Rihanna, I am not. And so, and at that time I had gone to a salon that was supposed to be curly cut certified. Oh gosh. You probably, <laughs> you probably can't say the name because of your position and standing in the industry. I will say the name of Diva Curl Salon in Soho, which is where I went. It took a while to like recover from that haircut. Like it was just not for me in my experience. So like, yeah, curly cut is different from someone that knows how to do textured hair. And look, I was young then and very (laughs) new to New York and unexperienced in the ways of the world. But I think it taught me a lot of things. First of all, balayage isn't for everybody. (laughs) Right. Period. Period. It also taught me that how important word of mouth reviews are. Like a lot of people I go to now are people that even though I have a lot of access, it's people that are recommended to me yeah. because I definitely have had some bad experiences where I've gone to a beauty event and I've allowed somebody to do my hair and I had heat damage. Ugh, the worst. The worst. Devastating. For all those people out there listening who are like, come get my service. If I get a bad service, it's not good for you and it's not good for me. So let me just say no. Let me just right. say no. And a lot of services I actually still pay for and... Like I get my nails done every two weeks at a salon down the street in Newark where I live. 
I don't go to a fancy salon for free or whatever, even though I probably could. One, because I like to support small businesses and all the people I generally tend to go to are people of color. So I like to support people of color. Yeah. But also when I pay for things, that means I get the service that I need. (laughs) Period. Literally. I mean, I get offers to like come and do a massage at our blah, blah, blah. And it's like, one, I have to like get there. So like, I think people think that they're offering you more than they are. Like, it's nice that they're offering like free thing, but it's like, one, I have to get there. Then what if the treatment's not good? You're still definitely expecting me to like post about it and discuss it. So it's like uncomfortable for me to accept this offer to get like a free facial or whatever, because I don't know if it's going to be worth talking about. And I know that that's why you're inviting me. Yeah, there's been an instance, I forgot which editor it was, but they had a horrible facial experience and they talked all about how bad the experience was. (laughs) I mean, it was like a horrible experience. Their face was like breaking out. Did they write about it somewhere? So can we say like where it was? I don't know. I think it was just on Instagram that they mentioned it, but it was an editor that wrote about it. And anyway, it was just kind of like one of those things that look, I fully acknowledge that I get a lot of things for free. (laughs) And I too like free things, but you know, hair, nails, things that I have to get done on a regular basis, generally like I am totally willing to pay for and will do my best to support where I can. Let's go back a little bit to you building teams and what kind of leader you are. You will go on to do amazing things in your career in beauty. I'm sure it's not going to end here, even though arguably you're like at the pinnacle at an extremely young age. What is your leadership style that you think has allowed you to be so successful at such a young age? First of all, I will say I'm a first child and I'm a Leo. Hey, me too. I'm a first child and a Leo too. It's a heavy burden to bear. Yeah. So that explains a lot about my style. I think I am someone who. It's hard to describe my leadership style. I think I am not perfect by any means. And being editor-in-chief has taught me that in a lot of ways. You know, it becomes a really different thing when you have a, a corporation and all this that you're navigating. I think I try to be as transparent as I can be. And I think more than anything, I'm a roll up my sleeves type person. I often say to my friends that, you know, in our industry, there are a lot of people who are very socially focused, right? Like they're always out, always at parties, always doing that, always doing this. And it's a benefit, right? Mm -hmm. Because our industry is very much so have a lot of followers, make a lot of money. And I was never good at that. I was definitely the person working behind the scenes, just working. And I had someone the other day be like, oh yeah, the word on street was always that you did work. Yeah, that's true. Like I'm a worker, worker beef to the max. And so I think I've had to transition a bit becoming editor-in-chief because part of being editor-in-chief is being a social butterfly, which me and my therapist talk about regularly. Okay. Back to being a Leo though. Don't Leos, don't we thrive in social situations? So I was told I'm an ambivert. Oh, okay. Tell me what, what does ambivert mean? So ambivert means that when I'm in social situations, when I'm on TV, when I'm doing the thing, I'm doing it. Like I am completely devoted to it. But after I do it, I'm going to have to go home for two days and be by myself. (laughs) (laughs) Got it. You need like a recovery period. Like, woof, that was a lot. Let me lie down. Generally, on Saturdays, I'm a vegetable. I lay on my couch and I watch TV and I binge whatever I'm supposed to, you know, whatever's hot. And that's that. And then maybe Sunday I start to recover and like start to do errands. 
I need time to recover from being up and out and the boss and meetings and all of that, where you have to be very social. That is the thing that I take into my leadership style. I think I very much so, whoever I work with, I try to let them know that it's not something you're doing alone. Like we're working on this together. And I think also part of me being a someone who likes to work in that way is that I try to very much so to understand what my team is doing. And, you know, I'm not a pro at all the aspects of the business, but like, if you're coming to me and sitting me and talking about SEO, I generally know how it works and what we need to do and all of that. So I think I try very much so to understand what people are doing. And fortunately, like you said, I've worked in this industry a long time that, you know, I tell my team all the time, I too have written Kim Kardashian haircut posts. Right. You know, it's interesting. I'd be curious to hear your perspective on this. Do you feel like, you know, I think we're around the same age, 32, 33, or did you just turn 33? Yeah. Yeah. So we're the same age. When's your birthday? I am August 14th. Okay. August 3rd. So very close. So do you agree that this like younger generation doesn't have the same concept of like working hard? And no, any, I love Gen Z. No, this is disrespect to Gen Z. But do you think that they have that same understanding for like putting in the work and like paying your dues and like doing just frankly unglamorous grunt work as being part of how you rise to the top? You think it's a different time. Like we talked about a little bit with internships. The internships aren't as available as they used to be. I just hate to say that because they weren't really available back then either, <laughs> especially for minorities and people with not high incomes. But like Connie Nass has like five intern slots right. a year, period. You know, I was Connie Nass intern when I came up and it was like 30 spots. So it's like, it's just a scarcity thing. But I think there are so many new routes for them. This social media age and things moving more in a digital direction has opened up so many new ways to become an entrepreneur at a young age. The generation before us worked at a company for 40 years. Our generation bounces around from job to job on a pretty regular basis. And this next generation is like, I ain't never had a job. I was an entrepreneur from the gym. (laughs) So I think that has affected the way people work and way this generation works. And also keeping in mind that this is how they spend, how all of us spend most of our time is on our phones. And so that's opened up new routes of business. But I think in general, after the pandemic, the way people feel about work has changed drastically no matter what age you are. That is definitely the truth. And in a way, I think it's good that they have more options available to them. And there's that feeling of like, okay, you know what? I don't have to do this. I can do other things. That being said, I think your success and what you're speaking a lot about in terms of like you had this reputation of working hard all the time, it's like there really is no substitute for doing the work. There just really isn't. And it's only going to serve you better in whatever it is you want to do to have like deep, just like knowledge and expertise about whatever it is that you're doing so that you can eventually lead other people. You have to kind of know what they're doing because you've done it once. You know, it's like there's no shortcut. There's no, even if you're a content creator, I think people think it's like overnight success. Like, oh, you're this like highly paid influencer, but it's like everyone has had to put in the work over like years and years and years to get to a point where they can get paid, you know, 10K to do a single post. There were three years of posting every day where they didn't get any money, you know? And so it's like, if you divide that 10K over the three years, it starts to really become clear how much nothing is as quickly as you think it's coming to someone. Yeah. And I think also being completely honest, that world between editor and influencer is very much so melding. I think I'm sometimes surprised when I was became editor-in-chief with 6,000 followers. Like, 
is like crazy to me, you know? And I, I'm very fortunate that the people who hired me cared more about my experience than my influence. But now I'm backing into that. Now I'm like, I have to post every day because I need to grow my followers. Yeah, but you're doing a great job. Loving the reels. Thank you. Working so hard. My assistant and I are working very hard on that. I also think that sometimes I think a lot about the way that we grew up doing work, these, you know, hard workers or this generation. And I think a lot of things that we did were toxic, still mm. toxic in the sense of the way we work. And I think that's something I always have to think about and really kind of catch myself on because yes. the minute I want to be like that person don't like to work like they want to work you know it's like we were abused like we were beaten down into submission and abused and like expected to stay in the office until 9 p.m. so we're like oh they should also be open to staying at the office at 9 p.m. whereas like now young people are like um I have yoga at six so I'm signing off at 5 30 so I don't miss it we can we can pick this up tomorrow. Whereas when I was 25, if someone asked me to do something at 5 p.m. and I had yoga at 6, it was just, I just wasn't going to that yoga. That person was never going to know that I even had a yoga class to attend. But creating those boundaries is important. I have to remind myself all the time, like, all right, yeah, yeah. Work-life balance is important. Because I think there's this misconception that the higher up you get, the easier it becomes. I like to remind people that no one in my senior team is signing off at six o'clock. Nope. That's not how it works. It's actually a lot of tedious work. <laughs> of course. You know, it's like assistants fill in spreadsheets and I answer thousands and thousands of emails. Yes. <laughs> so. And also as you get more senior, you have to think about people management, right? Making sure that people are elevating in their career, that they're getting the opportunities that they want to get, that they're happy, two people aren't getting along, trying to make sure that they can work it out and unblock communication style issues. I mean, a lot of it is like people management and less actual output of your work, which I think for me is something I struggle with because sometimes I'm like, I just want to like do, I don't want to just sit in meeting after meeting after meeting. I want to like do something fun and creative and have like output. But as you get more senior, you have less opportunities to do that. People management is a huge part of the job. And it's also the hardest part because it doesn't always work out how you want. I want to be kind and I want to be compassionate. There are some days that I don't do it so well, you know? And I think that's also the other part is, you know, you have your best intentions at heart, but sometimes the way this world works, it just doesn't work out. And that's hard when you're mm -hmm. a person who cares you take that emotional baggage home with you and you're like, man, I wish this hadn't turned out that way. I wish I could have done this better, done that better. And so that's another part of just being a boss at this time who does try to do better. It don't always work out, especially when you're at this top dealing with all the things that you're dealing with. Absolutely. What do you want to see change about the beauty industry? We've made so much progress. You've been in it for 10 plus years. How do you want to see the industry change in the years to come? I think for me, something I'm very cognizant of is in this industry, people are just, they can't focus on more than one thing at once. <laughs> and I say that in the sense of like, you know, when everything was happening with George Floyd and Black Lives Matter, people were really into Black people. And now they've moved on to Latinx people. In a couple of months, they'll be moving on to differently able people. <laughs> and then they'll be moved on to South Asian people. And I just feel like, our industry doesn't do well with like looking at the long game. They just get very focused on one thing. And then the next thing comes along and they jump ship to the next thing. And so I really hope that we can open our eyes 
a little bit wider and care in a more sustainable way and look at people as more as whole people. You know, the intersectionality, I think, is often missed in our industry in a lot of different ways. And so it's something that I've been thinking a lot about as we work to do things in Allure. It's like, how do we capture wider views of the culture that is behind beauty? Not just the products a person uses, but why do they use that product? I use edge control because my mom braided cornrows in my hair on Saturdays. It's a deeper, wider story. And I think me as a person, I am a part of the natural hair community. I'm part of the deep South. I am a part of Black women and melanated skin. Like there's just so many communities that I'm a part of. Working women, women living in big cities, career oriented people. I mean, you're an inspiration for so many people. And I think the fact that you are relatable and approachable is also why I'm just excited to see you doing more on social media because I want more people to know about the work that you're doing and know about your story and just like how just down to earth you are as well. Because these positions in the past just seemed so inaccessible. And I think the more that you are able to show like, this is me, this is Jess, this is Jessica doing her thing as editor-in-chief of Allure, the more other people will see it and be like, I can be editor-in-chief of a major magazine one day. That's in the cards for me if I want that. Yeah. And sometimes, you know, I look at, definitely follow other editor-in-chiefs, look at other people's accounts. I'm like, dang, I am being way too honest. Lifted <laughs> <laughs> the veil a little. But I also agree with that. You know, I think I am in the very unique position where I have the ear of people that I never thought I'd even meet. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean... I love the interview you did with Amanda Gorman. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Amanda Gorman. That was crazy. I mean, incredible. Yeah, it was so great. But like Anna went towards my boss and like that's like <laughs> nuts too. Do you meet with Anna? Yeah, we met today. We meet once, usually once a week if she's in. You met with Anna Wintour today? Oh, my gosh. Okay, so I know like we're not going to get too, too, too into it. But are you nervous before those meetings? Do you have to prepare? Obviously, you want to be on point. It's Anna. But like, what's the vibe like? She is so kind and funny. She's funny, okay? And that's something I didn't expect. Like, wow. We were in a meeting one day and my team was like, what were y'all talking about? Because y'all was laughing. And I was like, we were. We were laughing. Not you having a kiki with Anna. Yeah, uh, look, I think also it's my, you know, my personality is very much so. Like, I try to get a laugh every once in a while. But, you know, look, she's so experienced in this industry and... I value her perspective so much and I'm learning a lot from her. Like when it comes to magazine making, there's no one who is better. And so I've learned a lot from her from that respect. I am astonished at how on it she is. Mm -hmm. Like, hopefully she never listens to this when I tell this story. But like we were talking one day and she was like, oh, have you seen the J-Lo documentary? Uh, Halftime. And I was like, yeah. Definitely seen it. <laughs> wow. I'm still that documentary. I'm sorry, Anna. I lied. Like, she is in touch with the culture. Wow. I went to Harry Styles concert once. And I was like, yeah, I went to Harry Styles concert over the weekend. And she was like, oh, yeah, Harry. Oh, so many feather boas. I was like, oh. Right. No, that is so true. Out here. Out here. And, you know, one of the reasons why I try to work as hard as I do is because she is hardworking. This woman is, she does not stop. She doesn't. She's about to get on a plane to go to the European shows and it's going to be nothing. Like she's going to be out here. She did like a two week tour around the world to visit all the offices. Like she is 
working, yeah. <laughs> you know? And I think that's why it's like, you have to match your, your boss's vibe. And my boss's vibe, boss's vibe is hustling. Yeah. <laughs> 100%. 100%. It's been such a pleasure to just hear from you, get insight into the way you do things at Allure, but also just hear about your overall life story. You'll have to come back on the podcast. I feel like there's still so much more we could cover. I want to know tonight, when do you feel most beautiful? I feel most beautiful, honestly, when I'm like sitting in my office or in my house and I'm like looking at myself in the mirror and I'm just like thinking about, we did that. Every once in a while, you have to give yourself a pat on the back. And as someone who is very type A, but also kind of be very hard on myself, Mm. You know, those moments when I'm able to be like, okay, (laughs) you know, like, dang, I think that is when I feel most beautiful because those are the kind of rare moments when I can feel the confidence that I show is real. You know, like, I think so much we fake it till we make it. But every once in a while, there's this glimmer of like, no, like you are the shit, like you're doing it. And that's when I feel most beautiful for sure. That's amazing. Well. Thank you so, so much for coming on. I will drop all of the places, one, to like read all of your amazing work, but also like you guys got to follow Jess. You got to see the content and just follow along on the journey because you really are out here doing it and and putting it all out. Um, And it's just been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. Thank you so much for your time tonight. Thank you for having me. You'll know real when you get it. It will say eBay authenticity guarantee and you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewelry that makes you look like a gem, sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things that you love are checked by experts, not just any experts, specialized experts, real people who love this stuff with real hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue check mark that says authenticity guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder, or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. That was my incredible conversation with Jessica. I hope you found her as absolutely inspiring as I did and that you learned from the episode. I love hearing about the behind the scenes of the magazine industry. And I think part of our conversation that I found to be eye-opening and fascinating and something that I still am just reflecting on is this push and pull between like millennials and Gen Z around how we were treated in the workplace and then how we expect the generation coming up after us to operate in the workplace. And this idea that it's good to protect your boundaries, but you also have to put in the work. And some of it is maybe us feeling like, oh, well, I had to work so hard and grind so hard and make so many sacrifices. So, so should you, but that's not necessarily always the case. I think it's just very fascinating. And I'm curious to hear what you all think about it. And just your thoughts on the episode in general. I always love hearing from you all. You can always DM me at Naked Beauty Planet. That is the home. That is the community for this podcast. And I'm at 
Brooke Devard on all social platforms. Not really active on Twitter. Something's got to give. You know, I'm like on TikTok. I'm on Instagram. I've got two accounts on Instagram. Naked Beauty Planet is on TikTok and I'm going to start posting there more regularly. So follow us on TikTok too. Thank you so much for listening and I will be back next week. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.